Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe, a place to learn about how to navigate the healthcare system and understand health in plain language. I'm your host, Nikita Boston Fisher, a health educator with a passion for meeting people where they are. Today's guest is Ms. Tiffany Vassell. Tiffany is a labor and delivery nurse, author, and founder of Nurses for Black Maternal Health and Equity based in Boston, Massachusetts. She came to the cafe to share her childbirth experience, how it motivated her to become a nurse and maternal health advocate, and her recommendations for how expecting families can prepare for a hospital birth. Grab your warm drink and tune in for a great conversation. Hi, Tiffany. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Could you please introduce yourself for the audience? Hi, Nikita. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. So my name is Tiffany Vassell. I live in Boston, Massachusetts. I've been a labor delivery nurse now for about eight years. I also used to be a substance use disorder nurse for about four years. I'm a mom of two beautiful children, Amelia, who's 10, Cash, who's nine months old. I am a board member of Bay State Birth Coalition, which is a consumer-led organization which advocates for all families and birthing people to have access to midwives and out-of-hospital births, such as home birth and birth center births. I am the founder of Nurses for Black Maternal Health and Equity, which is an organization that seeks to diversify the perinatal work space, primarily by mentorship. And lastly, I am the author of Preparation for a Hospital Birth, which is a simple guide that can be read in 90 minutes or less. And it tells you about the most common interventions and options that you may be offered while you're in the hospital delivering. And it's just a way for you to better advocate for yourself. It's also a great guide for doulas to better support their, their birthing person. My goodness, you have got a lot going on. <laughs> I know, it's a lot. And much, a whole lot more in the community, but... Just to mention, to name a few. <laughs> wow. So what motivated you to get involved in the way that you have? I became a nurse at the age of 32. So about eight years ago, I became a nurse. Nine, nine years ago, I became a nurse. And it's actually a second degree for me. And what motivated me to become a nurse was my own labor experience. Now, I've always been interested in nursing but didn't feel the motivation to pursue it until I had my daughter, Amelia. That experience was quite the experience. I did not feel listened to during my labor process. I felt like I was losing control over my body and my experience. I had to be aggressive and assertive about what I wanted for myself and my baby. And at one point, they wanted me to have a C-section. And I did not want that. And like many people, the things that was like floated around in my mind is why? Like, why are you forcing me? Why can't we wait? Why can't we see? What are my options? And like, why now? Like, why is this the option now? I didn't fully understand what was going on. And when I think back, I don't think the whole process was explained to me. I was pretty confused. I even had a sister, my sister that was in the room who wanted me to have the C-section. Listen to the doctor. The doctor has your best interest at heart. And I had to ask her to leave. And then I had another sister who's a rebel. She's my ride or die. And she's like, I will support you with whatever you decide. And I will encourage you and stick by your side. And she did that. And then you know what? A few hours later, I was able to have my baby vaginally. 
you know, but I had to really advocate for myself and really get out of character to feel like I was being listened to, to feel like I was being heard. After that, the rest is history. I, I went, I did an accelerated bachelor's of nursing program. And within six months of graduating, I became a nurse on postpartum, eventually transferring over to labor and delivery. And it was then that I began to learn about the disparities and the fact that there are Black women and birthing people who are facing or who, who have faced similar situations that I faced during my labor process. Wow, that's a pretty amazing story. I think your sister who you put out probably feels the way a lot of people do, which is, well, you know, they're the doctor. They know what's going on. What gave you the confidence or the knowledge to feel like, I think this is going to be okay. I don't need to be scared into having this C-section. So that sister, she's had two deliveries, precipitous, less than five, four hours both babies, boom, born, you know, she, she didn't have any interventions, no pain medication. So I don't think she fully understood like what I was going through. I had a really long labor course, almost 28 hours before I delivered my baby. But once I got to 10 centimeters, I pushed out in 20 minutes. I just needed the chance to get there. And it was just an innate knowing. It's hard for me to say. I just felt like I could do it and I just needed the chance to do it. And thankfully, that morning that I delivered, I had a team that believed in me. I had a midwife team. I had a team that believed in me and that gave me the chance and really helped me to get there and be able to have my baby vaginally. That's wonderful. What are some of the common challenges that women face in labor? So I feel like some of the common challenges include not being listened to, lack of communication, and then just generally not being aware of the hospital process. I think people will share their, their issues like, oh, their pain level. They may share some symptoms they're having. And a lot of times they are not taken seriously. Or they may feel like, well, you know what? She's saying her pain's a 10, but she looks more like a three, right? And, and how can you know what pain feels like to me, right? So a lot of time not being listened to, lack of communication, not knowing what the birthing person wants, what their preferences are, not knowing much about the person, period, right? As a nurse, when I step into a room, it's my goal to get to know my patient for those 12 hours that I'm with them, right? I want to know, do you have other kids out? Do you have a partner? Like, what do you do for work? Like, what do you do for fun? You know, is your child at home excited about this new little person coming? Like, I want to feel like we have in, enough of a connection and a relationship that you can communicate with me freely about your wants, your wishes, and your needs. And lastly, the hospital process. I see this a lot. People come in, they have no clue. A lot of times, you know, you, do you remember the on TLC, the baby story? Yes. People come in, they think they're going to have their baby that day, and boom. The breastfeeding is going to be perfect. Everything's going to go smoothly. And it's like many times, absolutely not, right? You, you come in, you sometimes people are there for days, right? There are so many different interventions that can be offered, right? There are pills, there are vaginal inserts, there's a balloon, 
There's IV medication. There's so many things that can be offered to induce your labor that can end up taking days, right? And sometimes you're there and you're going through the process and, and then, you know, the baby's so stressed out, right? Just from all these different agents. And now you're going back for a C-section. People should learn what happens as well as providers, the healthcare team should provide them with education about what is going to happen and potentially how long it can take. People, for the most part, understand the physiological process, right? Baby's either going to be bored vaginally or by C-section. But the hospital process is often not understood. I guess this is why you wrote that book. Yes, absolutely why I wrote this book. I have so many friends having babies right now. And I'm like the resource. And so it's like I'm saying it over and over. And I'm like, you know what? I should write a book because I talk about this a lot. Like, and it, it just flowed naturally. Like, it's the same thing I would tell my best friend, my daughter, if she was having a baby. It's just knowing your options, knowing what's possible and being knowledgeable about it before you step into that space, right? Because once you're in that space, you're in pain, you're uncomfortable, you're scared. All these factor into the decision you may or may not make. There is a lot of talk about how high the Black maternal mortality rate is. Why is that? And what, if anything, can women do to avoid becoming a statistic? So the Black maternal mortality rate is high because of things like implicit, explicit bias. We have structural and systemic racism, discrimination, social and economic factors, so social determinants of health, poor communication between pregnant people and their birthing team, poor education around birth and the hospital process, and of course, weathering. All these things affect the ability for one to birth safely. And it's not just problems and unsafe in the hospital. It's unsafe before you even get there, right? It's unsafe in our community. Um, you know, access to food, things as simple as that, you know, access or even having a, a safe home to live in, somewhere safe to live in, somewhere that's lead free. You know, there's so many factors that are causing us to have such a high mortality rate. And then when you step into the hospital and you share that you're having these symptoms, you're having a headache or you have shortness of breath or you have pain in your calf and you're not being listened to or people just kind of brushing you off or we'll check back later or we'll see or no, we don't think we don't think you're experiencing that. These are all adding to the problem. Have you seen that unfold in your course of work where you feel like? I feel like this patient's being dismissed or I feel like they're not listening to her. I have. And I've spoken up every single time. I don't hold my tongue because I know how it feels to not be listened to. And anyone under my care or under my team's care while I'm there and I feel like something's not right, I'm going to say something. It doesn't sit well in my soul not to say nothing. I'd rather say something and be proven wrong than not say something and find out that something was wrong all along. And how do your colleagues typically react to that? I think they're used to it by now. I've been there eight years. They're like, okay, Tiffany. They just know. They know I'm not going to hold my tongue. So I think they're used to it by now. And I think we work well as a team and we do try to listen to patients and follow up with them about their needs. 
uh, you know, when we're working together, I'm watching your fetal heart. You're, you're watching mine. You know, if there's an emergency, we're, we're all running into the room together, all practicing situational awareness when we're on the unit. So I think they're used to it by now. And so what kind of recommendations or advice do you give to moms who are nervous about the statistics? How do you help them stay alive? What do you tell them to do? So again, my book talks about this in depth. What I would say is learn the process. Google, find out, you know, what happens when you go into the hospital to deliver? What is the labor process? Google it, right? Have a birth plan. I can't stress how important it is. Or birth wish. Some people say wish. Know what you want for yourself, for your baby. Really put some thought into it and write it down. It should be in the room with you when you go to deliver. It should be in your chart as well so that the care team can see it and they are aware of it. Learn about the interventions, right? And the risk and the benefits. There are so many. We have pills that you can take. We have vaginal inserts that we can insert into the vagina. We have balloons that we can blow up with water. We have IV pain meds to induce contractions that we can give. Learn about pain management options, right? Some places offer things that other places don't offer, like nitrous oxide for a long time. We didn't have it, but now we have it and it's great. And it's a great option for patients. We have IV pain medication. There, there are other options besides an epidural for pain management. Have a healthcare proxy on file. I can't stress how important that is. It should be done preferably prenatally, but if not, when you come in for your induction or for your delivery, your healthcare team should always check because you just never know what can happen. And it's always important to have someone on file that we can call and talk to or who's present that we can talk to about your options if you are not able to speak for yourself. I remember one time because I'm so aggy about checking for it. And I make sure I had a patient who I asked her if she had a healthcare proxy. And she's like, oh, yeah, I think I have one on file. So I was like, let me go take a look. I like to still look. I like to double check if the person that's listed on there is still the same person, right? People divorce. People pick their sister over their mother. Anything can happen, right? And it just so happened that the person she had listed was her, her mother. And she was shocked. And she's like, oh, no, we have to take her off. My mom actually experienced a traumatic brain injury and she can't make decisions for herself. Mm-hmm. So the mother wouldn't be able to make decisions for her. So something like that, I feel like is almost like a near miss because again, if anything were to happen to her, who could we ask? Because the person she had on the form couldn't make a decision for themselves, much less for her. Mm-hmm. So having a healthcare proxy, having a team present, right? If you can afford a doula, get a doula. Or if your hospital offers that option, definitely take them up on it. It's always nice to have someone with you who knows the system, who's familiar with the system, who can also provide you emotional and physical support. Whoever's in that room, have them know your wants and needs and have them know that they're there to support you, right? Is it you're not there to sleep or be on your phone and TikToking and selfie. You know that they're there to really help you and support you while you labor. Those are great tips. And I love that example you gave of the healthcare proxy. 
What are the best practices for navigating the stress of labor and what are common pitfalls we should avoid? Labor can be extremely stressful. And then when you add fear and stress in there, it just it increases the pain, right? Whoever's with you, again, prep them for the type of environment you want to create. Like you have to literally create an ambiance because a lot of it, yes, is physical, but a lot of it is also mental, right? If you tell yourself you can do something, you can do it. The moment you start to doubt and fear and that I can't starts to seep in, that's kind of how things go. So I would suggest like creating a calming and relaxing environment. I love aromatherapy. I've seen a lot of patients bring their aromatherapy machine and it's like spraying that nice smelling lavender mist. I've seen battery operated, the little tea lights placed around the room, the lights jammed just to create a calm atmosphere. I've seen laminated affirmation signs around the room saying, you know, I can do it. My baby is healthy. I'm strong. I've seen those. Turn the TV off if you can. I know a lot of people like want to watch their show. They love it. Hip hop and the normal moves and all the drama that's going on. But if you can, turn the TV off, right? Just try to calm your spirit and just be in the moment, right? A relaxing music. That's always great to, to create an awesome ambiance and to help you get relaxed. Try to move freely. Bring some of your favorite foods if possible. Drink plenty of water. Try to stay hydrated. When you can move around, get up out the bed. When you can't rest, do what your body is telling you to do, right? Massages, back rubs, all great ways to relax and be in the moment. What are common pitfalls we should avoid? I think with a set idea of how you want it to go, I think you have to give yourself grace and you have to remember that sometimes the plan can change. When you kind of go very set in your ways and things don't go the way you thought it would, it can cause distress, right? It can cause trauma. So try to stay open, try to flow, try to relax, stay open, but still advocate for yourself and say what you want and what you need for yourself and for your baby. But just try to also remember to go with the flow. Often when you get to the hospital, it feels like things can become out of your hands, out of control. How can women still feel in control? Learn the hospital process. I can't stress that enough. Learn your options. Learn who's in the hospital, right? Sometimes I've seen hospital where doctors are allowed to leave, right? And then the nurse may call them in when it's time for you to deliver. Are the providers in the hospital? Are they 30 minutes out? Find out about what is going on around you. Be knowledgeable about it so that I feel like you could prepare yourself mentally. I think the more you know before you come to deliver, the better off you are because you know what to ask. You know what to ask for. And you know what's possible and what's not possible. How do you think partners can best support their loved one? Be there. Just be in the moment too. Again, I know people have loved to be on their phones and social media. But be there. This is a joyous moment. Share this space with them. Offer back rubs, massages, talk. Be that person's sounding board. Be that person's advocate. Try to support them physically and emotionally. Sometimes this is the first time, but I mean, it could be 
someone's fifth, sixth, seventh time having a baby. But just be there because each time is so different and so special. Do you have any memorable experience from the floor that you'd like to share? Numerous memorable experiences. I've been a labor and delivery nurse for eight years. I guess the best experiences are always the ones that end in safe, joyous deliveries. I love those moments and I live for them. I've helped or been a part of over 300 deliveries. I'm telling you, I've probably held way more babies than 300. (laughs) It's always an honor and a privilege to be there during someone's delivery and to to witness a baby take his or her first breath. It's always an honor. That's amazing. Pre-COVID, I would love when patients would come back and bring their babies and they're two and three years old. And I'm like, oh, like I always want to cry. Like, I can't believe it. Like, you know, or when patients come back and say, hey, you were my nurse two or three years ago and now you're my nurse again tonight for this baby. I always, I love those moments. They make me so happy. So special. COVID, that's like a whole other thing. How did your experience change during COVID? COVID was very difficult, as you can imagine. Just the mask and the the face shield and putting on the suits. And we felt so distant from our patients, you know, having to have patients push with mask on, having to have patients consigned to the room if they were COVID positive, their partners can't leave the room. It was a difficult time. And I know COVID is still there and many people are still experiencing it, but I'm so glad that it's more under control. And although we're not back to normal, I don't think we'll ever be back to the old way of things. But as time passes, I'm grateful that we're kind of getting into the new normal, right? We're getting back to being in the rooms with patients. We're not so afraid of COVID. We know what to expect, right? We know the signs and symptoms. We know how to better care for ourselves if we have COVID. We know how to care for our patients better if they have COVID. It was a scary time. And I'm just so glad that the worst part is over and that we can be with birthing people again. Wonderful. Can you share an example where you saw a patient advocate for themselves and it made a difference in the outcome? And I see it all the time and I encourage it because I want patients to be heard. Well, I'll ask them like, is there something in particular that you want? Is there something you have a question about? I always encourage them to speak up for themselves. If they don't understand something, I tell them, tell me so I can better explain it to you or tell me so that I can talk to the provider and have them come back in. It's encouraging Patients to advocate is usually like one of the first things I do when I start my shift. I like to set the tone so they know that nothing is off limits and there's never a dumb question and everything is valid. Your feelings are valid. The pain you may or may not be feeling is valid. Everything is valid because it's your experience. So I think it's important to encourage patients to speak up for themselves and don't stop speaking up for yourself until you're heard and to sh- to give them a safe space so they know it's okay. Okay. So I guess that helps relieve the intimidation factor. That's what you do on your shift to help. Absolutely. Because it, it shouldn't be intimidating. Like we're supposed to be a team, right? That's how, how I like to go into it. Like 
centering my patient. This is their day. This is their moment. Others may not be religious. I'm a spiritual person and I like to ask God like less of me, more of them, right? I try to leave my problems at home before I enter into the space. I think it's a sacred space. I think it's a special space. And I think the more you encourage people to speak up and to tell us what they need and want, I think the better the outcome. Are there any myths and misconceptions about healthcare? I think a misconception I would like to dispel is that the healthcare team or your provider always knows what's best for the patient. We do not know all the time. We don't. We practice by evidence-based research, right? And research can change as more information becomes available. It's important that we work, again, as a team to ensure you have a safe and joyous delivery, right? We don't know everything. We don't. So that's why it's important to ask questions. And it's important to come already with the knowledge about the process. Any questions you think patients should ask but often don't? How long the process will take. If a certain procedure or intervention is necessary, a lot of time patients are just like, okay, I'll do it. Because again, they think that the provider has their best interests at heart. Well, and they do. I, I feel like they generally do. But not every intervention is for everyone. Not every intervention is necessary. Like, you know, things like cervical exams, right? Sometimes you can forego a cervical exam. You could say, can we do it at a later time? Or certain medication or in- intervention they may want to try. Can we do that later? Or can we try this way? But again, it comes with having knowledge about the process before you enter into the hospital. People sometimes are scared to ask about how many people are in the room, right? You're ready to deliver. Now all of a sudden there's 15 people in the room. I thought it was just going to be me, my partner, <laughs> my midwife, and my doula. Where where'd the other 11 people got from? You know, ask questions. Who, who are these people? Why are they here? If you want, can I decline some of these people being here? Is it necessary? Things like I've seen often, like patients sometimes don't want a male provider. Is there a female provider? Sometimes people are afraid to ask that. Just being aware of these things can sometimes help patients to not be as scared to ask about them or make certain requests. I love those questions. Are are midwives allowed to deliver in hospitals? Yes, midwives are allowed to deliver in hospitals. But there are different types of midwives. The midwives that deliver in the hospital are certified nurse midwives, right? They have a nursing background and then they're advanced practice nurses, they're midwives. And then there are midwives that practice in the community and they specialize in out-of-hospital births. So those midwives are known as certified professional midwives. And they practice primarily in home births and birth center births. Now, I'm curious, how did your second birth go compared to your first birth with all this new knowledge and information? (laughs) So with my little guy, Cashy, who was born last year, August, I was determined to have a home birth. I was determined because I know about the disparities. I know what Black women face. And even as a labor and delivery nurse, I was determined not to deliver in the hospital. I got a home birth midwife. I got a doula. I paid seven grand out of pocket, right? It's very expensive because it's not covered by insurance. I had the whole setup in my home. I was ready to go. I want to say that also because in Massachusetts, 
certified professional midwives are not licensed. I made sure to also receive tandem care from a certified nurse midwife at a clinic just to ensure that there would be ease of transfer if I needed to go to the hospital emergently. So I I did my thing at home. I was in labor for 36 hours at home. He would not come. He would not come. I said, you know what? It's time to go to the hospital. He should have came a long time ago. This is my second rodeo. He should have came a long time ago. Went to the hospital. Immediately, I felt the stares. I felt the disdain from people knowing, you know, oh, she tried to have a home birth. It didn't work. So now she's here. And immediately, I had to be like, I'm a labor and delivery nurse. And immediately, you see the change in how they responded and the treatment the allowance. I was allowed to labor for an additional 18 hours at the hospital. I was telling them like, you know, no, you can't go up on the Pitocin, which is the medicine to induce contractions. No, you cannot go up on it. Please turn the monitor so I can assess my baby's heart rate and my contraction pattern, right? Please put a fetal scalp electrode. I was telling them what to do. So Even in that space, like I wasn't allowed to relax and just be a mom. Like I still had to be a nurse to myself and just no progress. I was just stuck at seven centimeters. He would not come. And at that point, I was resigned to receiving a C-section. My biggest thing was I did not want to rush back urgently. I did not want it to be an urgent C-section. I've seen many of those. And I mean... It's for the safety of the baby, of course, but it never sits right with me because many times if you don't have adequate pain control, they'll put you to sleep. I don't want to be asleep. I want to be awake to see my baby. So it was at that point I decided, all right, we can go back for the C-section. Went back, had him, beautiful 10 pounds, 22 inches long. (laughs) No one would have ever guessed my certified nurse midwife did not know. My certified professional midwife did not know. He was just a big boy. I didn't even know. I thought he was big, but not 10 pounds big. (laughs) Definitely not 22 inches long. But yeah, I had him and I was okay with the outcome because I felt like I had control. I had a choice. It didn't go how I wanted it to go, but it was okay. I did though end up leaving on post-op day two because I felt like, again, I wasn't being listened to. There were certain things I thought that would have been standing orders that wasn't. Like I had to ask for Percocet. They wanted to just give me Tylenol and Motrin after having major abdominal surgery. And I'm like, this is just absolutely not acceptable. So I decided to leave and left with my little prescription of five Percocet over the next couple of days. Went home and by day three, my home birth midwife and my doula came to see me and they helped me with breastfeeding. They helped with tidying up the place. They were such a huge support during that time. And it just made me think like, I went home with this normal, healthy baby that saw his doctor before I saw my clinic midwife. I just had major abdominal surgery. You're telling me I can't see her till week three? No. I was so happy I had my certified professional midwife and I had my doula who came right to the house 
and was so helpful. And so just literally a phone call away. So again, that also helped with me feeling okay about my C-section and how things turned out. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. As you're speaking, I'm thinking of Kimberly Seals Allers a lot. I don't know, because you're beaming and you're talking about your experience and you mentioned Black Joy and that seems like something she's really big on pushing and not only like the doom and gloom story. Yeah, I think we don't center our joy enough. And it's important that we talk about these disparities and try to address them. But we also need to remember like, these are supposed to be amazing and happy moments, right? And we're bringing babies into the world. And we need to also think about our happiness. I think it's often overlooked by society. And if we don't center it, who else will? Why did it take three weeks to get an appointment with your delivery team? I think it's just standard. Usually most postpartum people will wait up to six weeks. And that's why we're seeing a lot of the disparities that are happening because there's such a huge gap of when you may see your provider. You know, all this time you could be having headaches, you could be having visual changes, right? These are some symptoms of preeclampsia. All these things can be happening. You can, you know, feel like some warmness in your calf. Something doesn't feel right, some shortness of breath. All the again, pulmonary embolism, all these things can be happening in that time. There's such a long wait. Here in Massachusetts, we recently codified postpartum care up to one year for people who are on mass health. We need it. We need it across the board. Private insurers need to do this. People need care for that full year. You need the support. You know, it's just, it's such a great great change that our bodies go through, you know? And I think a lot of people take that for granted. And especially in this society that we live in, where some places people only get three weeks off and then they have to go back to work. You know, it's just insane and it makes no sense and it's not okay. It's not acceptable. We need time to recover. We need time to be with our babies and our families and raise our families, and raise our babies. It's not okay. True. Well, thank you, Tiffany. Do you have any closing thoughts as we wrap up? I guess I would like to say to the healthcare teams, listen, please remember to listen to our patients. Continue to center them. They are what's most important in that moment when they're there to deliver with us. Communication is key. They have a right to bodily autonomy and choices about themselves and their babies. To birthing people, please continue to speak up. Don't ever stop speaking up for yourselves or for your baby. Don't stop advocating. Tell us about your needs. Tell us about your wishes for your labor and delivery experience. This is your moment. It should be joyous and it should always be a safe space. What a beautiful note to end on. Thank you, Tiffany, so much for coming to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Some key takeaways from Tiffany were the importance of extended postpartum care and support, including the need for comprehensive insurance coverage and workplace leave policies, how to create a calming environment during labor, the importance of education, advocacy, and communication in addressing disparities in maternal health, Communication is key. 
birthing people have a right to bodily autonomy and choices about themselves and their babies. And remember, in Tiffany's words, please continue to speak up. Don't ever stop speaking up for yourselves or for your baby. Say what you need. Express your wishes for your labor and delivery experience. It's your moment and it should be joyous and it should always be a safe space. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't keep it to yourself. Share it with a friend, leave a review on Apple or Spotify, or write to us to let us know your thoughts. More information and the ability to join our mailing list can be found on our website, www.thegoodhealthcafe.com, or via our social media channels on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn with the handle at The Good Health Cafe. Until next time, see you in the cafe later. Bye!